I'm 20 years old and I've been born into an apartheid state. Imagine being 20, you've lived through four different insane aggression. I honestly can't put the, the words to describe what I saw. Talking about my trauma is one of the hardest things that I ever had to do. And I did it on social media because I was like, this is for you, Palestine. I'm talking for all those generations who lost their lives, who lost their voices. And now I feel a responsibility to show the whole world what's happened. Palestine is a struggle for every human being who believes in freedom. It's not a struggle for Palestinians only. You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. this very special episode of the Worldwide Tribe podcast in response to what has been happening in recent weeks in Israel and Palestine. When I asked you guys on social media what you wanted to hear about this topic, you said personal stories and also the history of the region. So that is exactly what I'm bringing you today. I've been on a steep learning curve as well, actually, myself over the last few years and even in the last few weeks about this topic as I've pulled this episode together, trying to get as much of an understanding of the events in Israel and Palestine that have brought us to today. My guest today on this episode actually does an incredible job of sharing the human impact of these events. She has an incredible personal story. She's a 20 year old from Gaza. Her name is Yara. Um, and yeah, her story will just absolutely stay with me forever. It's such an honor to be able to share this conversation with you today. But first, I am going to take a few minutes to bring us all up to speed on a very simplified history of the region. I'd actually encourage everybody listening to read a lot more about this topic as it has been extensively documented over the years um, and some good places to start uh, that have been informative and helpful to me are watching videos of Israeli historian Ilan Pape, um, also Channel 4's drama The Promise, I think it's available on Amazon Prime and Abby Martin's film Gaza Fights for Freedom which is free on YouTube and I just watched it this week and it was very very eye-opening. But you might be listening to all of this wondering what and where even is Gaza and how did Israel come to exist or why is all of this so polarizing? To answer some of these questions, I'm going to take us back to the very beginning.
Okay, so Israel and Palestine, the region that we're talking about here is a very beautiful and very important area of land that has actually been populated for tens of thousands of years. Um, so it's difficult to kind of know where to start with this history, I guess. Um, but um, over the years, it's been controlled by dozens of civilizations, the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Ottoman Turks, the Babylonians, the Muslims, the Christians. And I guess why I'm telling you this is because it's important to know that it's a very profound place um, in Judaism, in Christianity, and in Islam. Uh, it's been written about extensively in these holy books, both the Quran and in the Bible. And it's, um, I guess, a focal point um, in these books, this this very area of land, right? Jerusalem um, is the place where the prophet Muhammad uh, ascended to heaven. It's also the place where Jesus's life and death unfolded and where Abraham, the father of the Jews, nearly sacrificed one of his sons, Isaac, to God. But anyway, contrary to popular belief, this conflict is not actually um, about ancient religious hatreds. That's not it at all. Um, in fact, Muslims, Christians and Jews, they all lived very peacefully alongside each other on this land uh, called Palestine until the early 1900s. So I guess it makes sense for us to focus on the last century and start at the end of World War I, um, when the British took over Palestine from the Ottoman Turks, who had been in control of the region for about 400 years at this point. So the British plays a big part in this, right, because they then rule under what was called the British Mandate for Palestine for around 30 years from the end of World War I to the end of World War II. Now, of course, we all know what atrocities happened during World War II, right? Millions of European Jews were killed and displaced during the Holocaust, and they were left with nowhere to go. And this was actually not the first time that the Jews had suffered persecution. As a people without a homeland, um, they made up minority groups in many countries globally and had faced centuries of discrimination by this point. And as a result, in the mid-1800s, the Zionist movement was born. This is a movement of Jews who believed that the Jews should have their own country, a homeland in their ancient holy land, with their own language of Hebrew. And this movement was actually supported by the British leaders at the time, such as the British Foreign Secretary, Arthur Balfour, who in 1917 issued a public statement announcing support for the establishment of the National Home for Jewish People in Palestine. Now, him doing this actually turned that Zionist dream into a reality, and the movement then gained traction. So if we go back to the end of World War I, we have majority Muslim and ethnically Arab Palestine ruled by the British. Then we have this Zionist movement calling for the establishment of a Jewish state in the region supported by the British. And then we have millions of displaced Jews after the Holocaust. We also have the fact that the British have decided by this point that they're done with being colonial powers and want to establish independence for many of their colonies, including South Africa and India. But that's another story. So what then happens in the Middle East? Something absolutely devastating happens. The newly formed UN come together to draw some lines on a map, essentially, and divide Palestine into two separate states giving around 54% to Jews and calling it Israel, and leaving 45% of the land to the Arabs. 
and the holy city of Jerusalem was to become a special international zone. Now, understandably, the Palestinians, the Arabs, did not accept this split and the surrounding Arab countries come together and declared war against Israel in 1948. As a result of all of this, over 700,000 Palestinian Arabs were forcibly expelled from their ancestral land in what is known as the Nakba, which is the Arabic word for catastrophe or, or disaster and Today, there are more than 7 million Palestinian refugees, those displaced in 1948 and their descendants. And I've personally met a lot of these people who, even decades later, are often still living in refugee camps in neighbouring countries such as Lebanon and Jordan. And the crazy thing for me is that this moment in time in history, you know, is celebrated by Israel as the moment that they gained their independence, the day their state was formed, right? And it just seems crazy that this same sequence of events can be seen so differently, that a dream come true for one people was an absolute nightmare for another. So Israel won that war in 1948 with the backing of huge powers such as America. And as a result, they actually expanded their territory into Palestine, taking more of the Palestinian land and forming the borders of what is now Gaza and the West Bank, the two regions that make up Palestine. And this begins the decades and decades of conflict that we have seen in the region. 20 years later, in 1967, there is another war known as the Six-Day War, where Israel takes over Gaza and the West Bank, as well as the Sinai Desert from Egypt. Now that Israel has control of the whole region, something shocking begins to happen, and it starts to move its own people into these two areas that make up Palestine, Gaza and the West Bank. Those people are known as settlers, and this move is hugely controversial and illegal under international law. Some of these settlers moved and continue to move to these areas for religious reasons, uh, to be close to their holy land, some for political reasons, to claim the land for Israel, and some because housing was cheap there. Uh, it's often subsidised by the Israeli government. And these settlers are protected by Israeli soldiers. Short term, this is hugely, hugely painful for Palestinian people in these areas. It displaces Palestinian families from their homes. Um, but long term, it also makes the dream of the independent Palestinian state less and less likely by dividing up the Palestinian land. So in the late 1980s, the Palestinian pain and frustration exploded into the first intifada, which is the Arabic word for uprising. It took the form of protests and soon became violent when Israel responded with heavy force. Over a thousand Palestinians died during the first intifada and many less Israelis. And I guess this sets the tone for how this conflict goes, right? The balance of power is clearly not equal and the deaths are overwhelmingly Palestinian. Things escalate, and in an attempt to find peace in the early 90s, secret agreements and discussions lead to the signing of the Oslo Peace Accords, in which Israel agreed to give back Gaza and the West Bank and part of Jerusalem in a plan to slowly give Palestinians some of their territory back. But unfortunately, this doesn't happen. Negotiations drag on for years, leading to the second intifada in the early 2000s, which are even more violent than the first. As a result... Israel builds more walls and checkpoints and essentially 
you know, as their government gets more and more right wing, it stops trying to solve the conflict and instead manages it through their brutal oppression, silencing Palestinian voices and removing more and more of their freedoms in this apartheid state. Israel eventually withdraws from Gaza, but instead it puts it under a suffocating blockade, meaning that unemployment rises to 40% and people are deprived of food, sufficient water, medical supplies and more. So what does all this actually mean for people on the ground? My guest today is the amazing Yara Eid, a 20-year-old from Gaza in Palestine. Yara left Gaza five years ago when she was 14, after winning a scholarship to a boarding school in Wales. She now studies international relations at the University of Edinburgh, and she travels across the UK, raising awareness about Palestine. I first learned about Yara after seeing a viral video of her on Instagram last week. It was a raw, heartbreaking moment of her crying after hearing the news that her neighbour's house in Gaza had been bombed, and not knowing whether her own family had survived the attack. The video stuck with me through all of the posts, noise and outrage about the most recent developments in the region, as it was such a personal account of the human impact of what is happening. In this interview, Yara brought me to tears about eight times. The stories about her little brother, the death of her pet tortoise, Casper, what she witnessed when she was 14 years old, and I think just the way that she articulates her experience in her second language just absolutely blew my mind. I truly feel that Yara's personal account as a human being, regardless of politics, nationality or your beliefs, needs to be heard. And I hope that recording this podcast is actually the beginning of of a friendship uh, between us because I think she's amazing and I very much hope that you enjoy our conversation. Yara, would you be happy to give us a little bit of background into who you are and your story? So maybe what it was like for you growing up in Gaza? Yeah, and I just want to say again, thank you so much for having me. It really means a lot to me that my voice is being heard and especially from podcasts in the UK because the UK for the past five years has been like a second home to me. Actually, since I've come to the UK, I've realized that so many people, they just don't know. It's not that they don't care. They just honestly don't know. When I first arrived to the UK, I went to boarding school in, in Wales. People were shocked to meet someone from Gaza. They saw just a real life example of an ordinary person from a refugee camp in Gaza coming, arriving. And then now I'm their friend. It's, it's Yara who they've, you know, had lunch with the other day. And it's Yara who had a sleepover with them. A month ago, and it's Yara who stayed within their houses over Christmas because she couldn't go home in Gaza. You know, it's it's their friend. It's uh, Yara, their classmate. And some of my closest friends now, literally activists for Palestine, I swear to God, when they first met me, they didn't even know what Palestine was. I hope that people are finally realizing what's been happening in Palestine. Because it's been more than 73 years. Can you imagine? That's like more than a lifetime of suffering and the crazy thing is we're in 2021 we get taught at school the horrible things that colonialism has done while people ignore the real life history is repeating itself that's a problem we've seen this before palestinian struggle is not 
unique to Palestinians. This is colonialism. This is settler colonialism that's been happening over and over again. So many things that you just said that I could touch on and that I feel to the core, like you are so right in the fact that we haven't actually learned about this in history. We haven't learned about Palestine. And I'm, I'm actually grateful for social media in these last few weeks for raising the profile to an extent. But yeah, a lot more needs to be done. And that is what we're here for today. I was never a big social media person. It's just the video that went viral a few days ago of mm-hmm. me crying. I never expected like half a million people to see it. Literally, the reason I recorded it was because I felt so hopeless. I didn't know what to do and I was crying and I had 30 minutes of complete not knowing if my family is alive or not. And I was like, oh, I'm documenting history. Yara, you, you should do this. I was so vulnerable. I couldn't even speak English properly when I did it. And that's literally how I started my whole like social media because, I mean, I've done my activism for a long time, but I never focused that much on social media. I went around the UK give different talks mm-hmm. and on what's happening in Palestine. This is something you can quote from any Palestinian. We're born to be activists just by the fact that we're Palestinian. Honestly, never would I ever imagine myself as an activist, let alone study international relations at the University of Edinburgh. Like, I think in a parallel universe, I'd be doing art or cinema. But, you know, our reality drove me to do this. It's like you have this ingrained, inbuilt cause that you feel you need people to hear what's happening. The media has failed us. I realized how underrepresented we were as Palestinians. And that's why I was like, this is my mission. I have a voice and I managed to learn English and expose what's happening in my, in my home. I didn't know English when I first came to the UK. And I'm sharing stories of literally my friends, my family. Like I'm not being political in the sense that I'm supporting a political party in Palestine. No, I condemn my leaders as well. I don't think we have a good leadership in Palestine. And that's why I think I touched so many people's hearts because I'm literally just saying and conveying what's happening, real people, real stories, real humans, just like me and you. But I literally was appalled, shocked by the the, the media that we have in the Western world. I mean, I was just... How is, you know, I I lived through the three horrible, we were taught to say wars on Gaza, but it's not a war. I refuse to say now that I have a bit more knowledge of the English language. I refuse to say it's a war. When you're saying it's a war, you're implying that there's two equal sides. While we Mm -hmm. see what's happening in Palestine, it's an oppressed and an oppressor. And what's happening in Gaza, it's, it's not a war. You know, Israel has one of the most advanced militaries in the whole world. Nuclear power facing children with rocks. It's really unfair. So this is just to tell you about how the media plays a huge role in literally continuing a narrative that is very Western colonialism. I couldn't have put that better. It gives me goosebumps. And I think that that was what was so powerful about that video that you shared is that 
everybody can see themselves in you. And that's the purpose of this podcast is people actually listening and recognizing, relating to you as a human being, regardless of nationality, religion, gender, race, whatever. You as a person, as a human that we share this world with, we can relate to what that would feel like not knowing whether your family are alive or safe. We can all imagine what that would feel like. I just want to say one more thing. The fact that you have spent this time in the UK and that you are doing this work and that you are sharing your story. When people now read a headline that says Palestinians, that refers to Palestine, those people that do know you, that have seen your videos, that have heard your story, they will relate that to you. They will think about you. They will think about a face and a person that they know. I really believe that there's a power and connection of human to human rather than these media headlines that are very dehumanizing. I completely agree. And that's why I'm doing this work. That's why I've really slept over the past few days because I've been posting nonstop in social media. I've been contacting every news agency I could reach because, again, as I've mentioned before, media has failed us. If you see media headlines, they're so misleading. They're literally saying Palestinians die while Israelis get killed. This is systematic racism. Mm -hmm. Like It's unbelievable for me because now I have a grasp of the English language and I know and I understand the gravity of using such words, what they mean, what they can imply. And Britain as well. I mean, there is an ignorance about what's happening in Palestine, while this is actually a problem that was created initially by British colonial system, mm -hmm. you know. So that's why it's so important for, I mean, not just British people, but for people all over the world to know how much colonialism, even from hundreds of years ago, is still happening today and it's still affecting people's lives So my story, too much politics today. Um, I grew up in a refugee camp in, in Gaza called El Buraij till I was 16. In 2014, the attack on Gaza, it was horrific. I was only 14 and at that point I realized what death meant because in 2008 and 2012 there were also two other aggressions in Gaza and I don't even know if the word aggression is the right word to use honestly attacks, I was too young essentially right attacks yeah. on Gaza the horrible attacks like for me the word attack seems so you know like small compared to the amount of pain, suffering that my people and myself and my family and my friends have, have endured over the past years. So yeah, I was too young in 2008 and 2012 to understand what war attack meant. I, I didn't know what death meant. I didn't know what losing my mom meant. Or maybe I was too innocent to understand what was happening. And then in 2014, I was 14 years old, still young in the eyes of some people. But hits me that at any point I could actually lose my entire family in a blink of an eye and I actually witnessed this in front of my eyes. We escaped our refugee camp because my whole neighborhood got demolished again as if we get used to it promise we don't people think you get used to the sound of bombs and rockets it's still as scary as it was the first time I've heard it and we escaped the refugee camp to go to where my grandparents live thinking it was safer. We ended up running in the streets from death. 
I saw people dying in front of my eyes, blood, like literally pieces of humans, not even a full human in front of my eyes. And I was just 14, running with my little brother as he carries, you know, it it breaks me every time I remember his crying face. He was what? If I was 14, he was 11. He was running and he had just a bag of marbles, you know, it's like a toy for Palestinians. He used to play with his friends and that's the bag he, he carried. Like I, I took a book, I think, with me. That was the only precious thing. I took just one book with me and he took his marbles. And it doesn't get easier talking about this. I, I get teared up because this happened, what, like five years? No, 2014. How many years ago is this? Seven. Seven years ago. Sorry, my math. I can't. Um, Seven years ago. And it still affects me as if it happened yesterday. The trauma of it. Honestly, it's, it's beyond, beyond words. That attack changed my life forever. I wasn't okay. I entered the hospital soon after it ended. We luckily survived, honestly, by miracle. My best friend's house was bombed. I didn't know she was alive for like two days. She lost her dad, her granddad, and other relatives. She was under rubble, um, and I didn't know if she was alive or dead. I just remember when I called her, we stayed on the phone for 30 minutes. She was in the hospital, and it was just both of us crying on the phone. Literally, just both of us crying, no talking, just just hearing each other is crying and thanking God that she's still alive. And you know, this is only my story. Like if you hear stories of some of the people in Palestine, honestly, I I don't have the words, how they still have hope, how they still fight. I, I don't understand how, honestly. I was suffering from PTSD. That's why I entered the hospital mm-hmm. and I didn't know that no one knew what was happening including doctors. I mean, trauma is barely talked about in in situations of conflict. It's not conflict. I mean, just generally in war zones, you know, and I was depressed and I was so anxious. I couldn't leave my mom. I would literally wouldn't be able to go anywhere. I dropped out of school. I was really unwell for a while. And then luckily I managed to, you know, get back on my feet and I decided, okay, I've had enough. I'm leaving Gaza, but not for good. I'm leaving to make a change. I'm leaving Mm -hmm. to learn English. I'm leaving to get an education that can help me help my people. I'm leaving to stop what's happening, to stop the massacres that have been happening since 1948. I got a full scholarship to study in UWC Atlantic College in Wales. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Um, And I arrived. And when I arrived to the school... I mean, it's a long, long story. We need like three hours to talk about my whole life, but maybe more. We could do part one, part two, part three. (laughs) Yeah. It was almost impossible for me to leave Gaza because Gaza's under blockade since 2007. So that's more than 15 years of blockade, of land, sea and air blockade. It's an open air prison. Let's just actually clarify what that means, that it's under blockade, that basically coming in or out is super, super difficult, right? What does that look like for people in Gaza? So Gaza is being completely blockaded. So it's under blockade. You can't leave Gaza or get in Gaza. 
it's literally impossible. So many children, so many of my friends have gotten scholarships to study outside and have lost their opportunities to leave because of the blockade. And what it means is that Israel has imposed this blockade, but which is illegal under international mm-hmm. law, by the way. I've studied international law. I've tried to educate myself as much as I can. And all the war crimes they've been committing, it, it's blatantly clear that it's illegal. But it's still happening because, of course, Israel is backed by one of the most powerful countries in the world, the U.S. And what it means is we don't even have an airport. They bombed the the airport in Gaza. So the only way to leave Gaza is through Egypt. And Egypt border is closed. Usually they open sometimes for medical visitors to leave just for medical reasons. I haven't seen my family for five years. And that's because Gaza is under blockade. So it's another reality. It's different. I'm not talking on behalf of the whole of Palestine because I'm shedding light specifically on Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. But what's happening in the West Bank and in the occupied territories and in Jerusalem and in 1948 occupied territories is horrific as well, you know. I do have a question, something I don't actually know. So Palestine is made up of Gaza and the West Bank, right? But can you actually even get between the two? No, I've never been. I mean, you can, but it's almost 100% impossible. I've never been to the West Bank. And you know what saddens me so much is that so many of my international friends, honestly, have went and seen Palestine just Mm. because they have a Canadian passport or an American passport or whatever. And I haven't even seen my own country. I can't even go to my own country with my passport. And I have a Palestinian passport. I don't have a... Um, like a travel document. It's even harder for people who are Palestinian refugees in Lebanon and Syria and Jordan. You know, they don't even have a passport. I'm not originally from Gaza. My grandparents, not even great-grandparents, my grandparents literally were kicked out of their lands in 1948 and immigrated to Gaza. And that's where I was born. My dad met my mother and that's how I was born. You know, my dad was born there, etc. So your grandparents, they lived in what is now Israel, but they were displaced to Gaza in 1948. Yeah, that's 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 really important to know as well, I think, because they're an example of people who were refugees internally within Israel and Palestine when Israel was created. Definitely. And, And, you know, the creation of Israel displaced not only my grandparents, but we're talking about hundreds of thousands of Palestinians. Palestinian diaspora is one of the largest diasporas in the world. Mm -hmm. This is something we are barely talked about because you see Western media headlines are talking about not what's happening. They're not showing the real facts. They're not showing the real history. The Palestinian-Israeli struggle is literally one of the longest, most it's not even complicated. I wouldn't say most complicated. It's literally so clear that it's settler colonialism, ethnic mm-hmm. cleansing. We've seen this happening for more than 73 years, you know. Mm-hmm. I left when I arrived to the UK and then after my high school, I was determined to continue my university education. So I started a GoFundMe page because, you know, getting a scholarship for higher education is almost also impossible. Bloody expensive. <laughs> exactly. For an international student, it's, it's insane. And then I managed to get into Edinburgh University. And I've been living there for three years. It's my third year. 
but I haven't finished my third year. I couldn't do my exams because of what's happening in Palestine now. Yara, you know, we talked about the trauma that you felt when you were 14 and you saw what you saw. And there's such a collective trauma amongst the people of Palestine. I think I saw you in one of your videos saying that you didn't even know what that meant before you left the UK, right? That there wasn't kind of support there because you're kind of in the midst of it and you're still surviving every day to actually deal with and process what you're experiencing. It's called post-traumatic disorder. What I was uh, and still suffering from, and you know, 95, I don't know why I'm laughing because I can't believe it. 95% of Gazan children is traumatized, is dealing with heavy trauma. And this is statistics that you can all Google. I'm, I'm not saying just numbers. This is, you know, well-researched statistics. So I actually didn't even know what PTSD was till I left because th- this trauma, that what I saw, because it's, it's not normal what we're seeing. But when you see 2 million people trapped in a small strip, Gaza Strip, in a very dense populated area where there is a blockade for more than 14 years. You don't leave the world. You don't know what the real world looks like, but you still love life. You still want to live really. You know, my brother today, I asked him, oh, Habibi, can I write something about you on my social media now that I have a big audience comparing to what I had before? And he was like, please Please, Yara, you have your voice. Please talk about it, you know? Write about this and write about this. And he was telling me, tell them, tell them I love life. Tell them how, how many dreams I have. Please tell them we're not numbers. He literally told me this today. Sorry, just to get back to your question. So I didn't know what PTSD was. And then I left Gaza and it was still ongoing. The trauma is still happening. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't seen my family. I mean, any normal human being, if they're deprived from their uh, family love and attention for five years, I mean, that alone is traumatizing, let alone the attack, the constant worrying that my family at any minute could be dead or alive, my friends. And I'm only talking about my family. I have a whole childhood of friends, family, bookshops, you know, Memories, memories, um, places, you know, the beach, everything. It's it's my whole existence. Is it's my home, and I can't go back. I haven't been back since I left. And they're saying there's two sides of the story. What sides? What sides is there when I'm literally an ordinary citizen, just a normal human being telling my story? What sides? The frustration that I feel can only just not even touch the the rising frustration that you must feel when talking about this. And I, I, I just want to say again, I appreciate you so much. Um, but yeah, what were you going to say? <laughs> I don't know. There's so many we, things to say. I know. We were um, talking about your brother. We were talking about your brother and how yeah. he supports you in sharing these stories. Yeah, he's, 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 is he 18? Yeah, 17. he's 18 now. He's 18. And he's doing his last year of high school. And yeah, I remember what I was saying. When I left Gaza, he was, what, 13 or no, I left in, let's see. Yeah, like he was 12, 13. And he's now 18. He was a child. Now he's an adult. And I've missed all of that. He's my only brother. You know, he's my only sibling. And overnight, he grew like that. 
you know, in my head, he's still my baby brother that we used to stay up till three in the morning laughing and hiding from my parents. And just like that, he's a grown man now and he's doing his last year of high school and he's talking about leaving Gaza and studying abroad and all of that. And, you know, it, it just, I can't even explain to you the amount of pain there is in my heart and that I, I haven't made memories with him for the past five years. All our memories are through FaceTime. And I remember when I would be stressed or I would be anxious about them, he would like call me and he's now doing the part of the, the, the protective older brother while he's the youngest, you know, because I'm, I'm away from home and I worry about them too much and I'm not with them. He, he'll be calling me and like singing for me or he plays the oud like a, an Arab guitar, mm -hmm. <laughs> if I can explain it. And he'd be singing for me just to calm me down, playing the oud for me. And I, I just feel so frustrated and so angry at this world that's letting this happen. You know, for five years, I couldn't see my brother or father. And, and I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't see my home. I couldn't see my room. I couldn't see my pet. And my pet is killed was killed a few days ago. My mm -hmm. pet was my our first pet was killed. So even animals are not surviving. Even innocent animals are, are being killed in this apartheid state. I don't know what else I can say to show the world what's happening, honestly. But you, you know very, very good job. <laughs> you really are. Thank you. But with all that pain comes a responsibility and comes hope. Our anger is turning into hope. We're angry because we are hopeful that there is another reality. As Mariam Barghousi said it, this is not my words. Mariam Barghousi, an activist, just said um, on an interview online because they were asking her, why are Palestinians so angry? We're being portrayed as angry. Let me meet one person, one person in the whole world where He's being kicked out of, out of his house systematically since 1948. Seeing their family massacred in front of his eyes, not seeing their families for years because I, I've, you know, I can't go back to Gaza. You know, seeing Israeli soldiers pointing guns at children who are literally three years old. You know, over the past 10 years, 3,000 Palestinian children have been killed. 3,000, and I'm just talking about children. I'm not talking about the rest of Palestinians who've been massacred. I can't, you know, in, in one hour of an interview or podcast, talk about what's happening of 73 years of oppression. And even before that, you know, the British colonialism, the British mandate of Palestine, it was more oppression, more colonialism. So we've been fighting, honestly, for the liberation of our land since we existed. We were born as fighters. We were born to resist. But we can't do this alone. That's why I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to share my story with the whole world. People don't know what's happening because there's no coverage. Israel is so threatened by our voices, by what's happening. They know that they're committing war crimes. They know they're breaking international law. They know damn well they know 
that everything they're doing is illegal and they're still doing it because they're backed by the US, by big military, so many things. So that's why we need the whole world to see what's happening. And, you know, social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, all of that, the resources is all with the, the big countries, the, the oppressors. And they're censoring us. You know, my stories are being deleted. So many of my friends' accounts have been deleted just because they're talking about Palestine. My account might be deleted any minute just because I'm talking about what's happening. And that's why we need people to act. Palestine is a struggle for every human being who believes in freedom. It's not a struggle for Palestinians only. So beautifully said, if we are not standing up for the rights of Palestinians, then we need to recognise that we're not standing up for our own human rights, right? Because this could be any one of us. I've seen a video today about Israeli education. It was like in a classroom with young kids in Israel who are being taught of a very anti-Arab narrative. Do you think that it is just a case of a kind of ingrained... It's a really difficult question. I mean, mm. Israel has a system like any other apartheid state, of just showing their only narrative. From kindergarten, I know what video you're talking about for everyone who's listening. It's a video in a classroom in Israel of children talking about death to the Arabs. All of this really violent, I mean, it, it hurts me so much to see it. I mean, it's ingrained within their education system. I went to boarding school, I met Israelis, and they shared the stories of how, since being born, that this is your land and you have to fight for it from terrorist Arabs. You have to get it back because you're surrounded by terrorist Arabs. And the whole media is reinforcing those stereotypes. And it's been working. You're producing generations that are very racist to one another, you know, that are, as you saw in the video, the, like words can't describe that those innocent children are saying stuff like this. So I get so angry and it's because like any settler colonial regime, you need your narrative to be the only one and the only truth. And they've succeeded in doing that. But you know what? We're not silent. Palestinian voices, our generation is trying so hard to get educated, to learn the, the language of the world, English, whether it's Spanish, French, to expose because the media, as I mentioned for a millionth time, is failing us. So we have the responsibility of sharing the truth. Israel is using this kind of, you know, Arabs are terrorist conflict going on in Syria, in, in, in Yemen, in Iraq, it became kind of normalized that it's fine, Middle Easterns die. In Gaza, only in the last 10 days, 64 children have been killed. And I haven't checked the, the latest um, numbers, so maybe there are more than 64 children. As we speak, the numbers are rising. How can anyone on earth justify this? I don't know. Did you ever meet Israelis when you were in Gaza did you ever make friends with Israelis for example was that ever an opportunity or were you complete segregated so in Gaza I've never met an Israeli till I left when mm -hmm. I went to boarding school and that was the first time I've ever met an Israeli and for us it's so weird my friend wrote an article once talking about how um, Israelis think of us as a video game, you know, because they're 
they've never seen us, they've never interacted with us, but they are dropping bombs from, you know, a controller in the air from airplanes and feeling completely disconnected because so many times I wonder, so many times, Jazz, you can't even imagine if that soldier looked into me in the eye when he was dropping this bomb, would he do it? If he saw the devastation, the 64 children that he's going to kill, would he do it? Yara, is there anything that you want to share about your feelings about Hamas? Mm. Yeah, that's the thing, Jazz. To be honest, I feel it's redirecting attention and it's distracting from the origin of the problem. You know, when you're terrorizing the whole population, you're literally the reason why Hamas exists. But that's Mm. the only thing that the media will will use. Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. But I condemn the violence. I don't wish any Israeli children the life of children in Gaza. I don't mm. wish to see children being killed anywhere in the world, you know? It's, it's horrific. But also, when you look at statistics, Israel killed in the last week more than what Hamas killed in 10 years. This is just straight statistics. I'm not supporting any political group. I'm literally standing with just innocent Palestinian civilians. I represent my voice and my people. I'm standing with Palestine and the flag of Palestine. Yara, why have Israel and Palestine suddenly been back in the news over the last few weeks? What's been happening? I know that it all began with some Palestinian families facing evictions from their homes in the Palestinian neighbourhood of Sheikh Jarrah, right, in East Jerusalem. Sheikh Jarrah is how it all started. I mean, for our listeners who don't know what's happened, and they're like, why is Israel suddenly firing rockets? Because Hamas fired rockets from Gaza to Israel. Wait. Hold on, let's look at the timeline. First, what happens in Sheikh Jarrah, forced evictions, not evictions even, forced displacement of more than 40 Palestinian families in Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in Jerusalem. Israeli settlers and Israeli forces come and kick people out of their homes, you know. Imagine someone coming and kicking you out of your home. This happened in 1948 and they got away with it, but it's happening now again. This happens first. They refuse. They appeal to the courts. There's military courts. Of course, the courts will be with the settlers. They're not going to help the Palestinians. Palestinians in Israel are living like third-class citizens. It's literally apartheid. I urge you all to read. Read Ilan Papa. Read Edward Said. Read all these authors. We're talking about Palestine. Educate yourself and you will realize this has been happening for years. Then, you know, there is protests all over Palestine against the eviction, the first, um, I, I, you know, I'm very careful using my words because words matter so much. So exactly. please keep use the right words. Mm-hmm. Yes, Keep questioning exactly. the words that we're using. Right. So what's the best way that we can describe what is happening? I mean, for me, I think we can just take a moment to imagine someone literally telling you that you have to leave your home that you've lived in for years and years and years like that just blows my mind in itself so let's just imagine what that feels like and how unjust that is and of course you would protest against that i can't imagine what those people who are losing their houses in gaza and in sheikh jarrah and in the west bank and the occupied territories must be feeling like your whole life being erased in seconds you know one rocket comes one bomb erases your whole every memory 
then it's the holiest month of the year for all Muslims, not just for Palestinians. It's Ramadan and people are praying Al-Aqsa Mosque, as you've mentioned. And then they start shooting and injuring hundreds of Palestinians while praying, praying, <laughs> like literally unarmed civilians praying in a mosque. Another video that should be um, circulated, and so many people have seen it, is the, the little um, Palestinian children who se- made fish survive. You know, mm-hmm. they're pet fish, and they're carrying it so happily. The only things that survived from the bombing is their fish. Imagine. Their goldfish in a jar. Yeah, yeah. That broke me so much. I couldn't save my turtles, Casper when the, the neighborhood was bombed. So he died. He was killed, I mean. Yeah. He was murdered. Um, he was. And I'm so um, sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not fair and it's not right. And I actually really want to talk about the last few days or the last week for you, because just to give a little bit of context about what you were talking about earlier, maybe a week ago or so, you shared a video. What was it in response to? What had happened? Basically, they bombed my neighbor's house in the camp. And when they bombed, you know, like Gaza is so densely populated. The houses in the refugee camps and in Gaza are so near each other. They're so close to each other that actually, even if you bomb something, even in the UK and if they're far from each other, it's still, you know, it's a rocket. It's a, it's a, it's a rocket that's coming from one of the greatest militaries in the world, the biggest military. It's going to do some serious damage. Exactly. So imagine if it's in a refugee camp where there's not good infrastructure. They bombed my neighborhood and um, for 30 minutes or so, I couldn't reach my family, my brother and dad, um, because my mom luckily is with me. That's why I posted a video of me crying because I didn't know if my brother and dad were alive or my whole family were, were, were dead. It was just the truth. You know, I was crying from my heart. I was scared to death. I'm still living the trauma. I've been trying to work on my trauma, but it's, it's not something that I can resolve when this is still happening, you know. But I thank my, I thank God every second that at least I'm with my mom and I'm mm-hmm. experiencing all of this horrible thing when I have the support of my mother. But it's so hard because my brother and dad are alone. My brother is having high school exams that are so important. So the year that determines his life where he goes to university, it's like, it's yeah, like A-levels. A-levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so stressful because he has so many subjects and he doesn't know if he's going to be alive or dead. So he's like, oh, I'm not going to study. Like, I, I can't study. My brother is being traumatized. It's not just me. It's it's everyone in Gaza is being traumatized. Two days ago, he got the news of um, his teacher, his favorite teacher, who was supposed to come to our house to give him, you know, uh, lessons for his exams. His house was bombed and his wife was killed. His wife and I think his daughter... And my brother just broke down completely. He didn't know if his teacher was alive or dead. And he left the house crying completely in shock. Literally, he started running in the street saying, this is not okay, this is not happening, this is not real. And my mom wasn't there for him. You know, he was with my dad, luckily. But it was it broke me so much to be away from my brother when he's facing this horrible thing, you know. And 
we couldn't talk to him. He was crying hysterically for days. Um, and, and my mom was just on the phone with him and I couldn't even talk to him because he wasn't responding to us. He was just crying. And this is, you know, this is one story. This is one story. Imagine how the two million people living in Gaza. Each single one of them has a story that's so painful, unfortunately. Every single Palestinian from Gaza has lived through, you know, indescribable pain, honestly. You and your mum must just be constantly checking news in on the people that you love. Like, I, I can't imagine what your day to day looks like whilst this is unfolding. How are you feeling any kind of um, release from that? Honestly, sometimes I wish I'm in Gaza because at least I'm with my family. And, you know, at least if we get bombed, we all die together rather than we suffer the pain of losing someone close to you. But me and my mom, for the past, since the attack started in Gaza, we barely slept. We have been on the phone. Like, I've literally, I've never used my phone this much. I'm honestly dizzy from how much screen time I'm getting. Not even when I'm studying. I've, you know, been on screen this much, just trying to talk to people and spreading what's happening, checking on what's happening with my friends and checking if they're alive. We've been on the news constantly. I would be sitting just like I'm sitting now talking to you in front of the TV, on the news, on the phone with my dad, on the phone with my brother, but then there's no electricity. So then we panic and we think something happened to them, but then thank God they're alive then uh, my mom can't sleep the whole day so then she stays up the whole night and I try to get a bit of sleep but then the next day we trade places and she sleeps and then I stay awake yesterday me and my brother there was so much bombing huge huge amounts of bombing dropped over Gaza, uh, and we called him luckily he had internet and we were watching Tom and Jerry um, do, do you call it Tom and Jerry? yeah yeah English? yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We were watching it on, you know, like uh, on Messenger where you share your screen yeah. together, just trying to hold into some of our memories that we used to do as kids. We just stayed and we, I was trying to distract him from the, the sound of bombs and 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 stuff. I can't even imagine what other children, because he's now 18, you know, what other children must be going through. You know, I remember when I was... A kid, my mom used to tell me, these are balloons. They're exploding balloons. They're not uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and, you know, we're seeing that actually Palestinian children are now aware of what's happening mm-hmm. because it's so severe that they're not innocent anymore. They're, they're seeing, they're knowing what death is. Imagine being four and knowing what, what losing your mother is like. This attack has been the worst on Gaza since more than 2008, 2012, and 2014, because they're bombing everything and everywhere. They're deliberately and on purpose trying to remove history, our culture, uh, everything, everything, you know? So many places that my family told me, we're going to take you to here and here because they've been built in the last few years while you've been gone, you know, this malls or this uh, bookshop or this cafe at the beach. They're bombing Everything. There's not one single place that's like historical or that's 
meaningful for the people that they're still standing. They literally have bombed media towers. They've bombed everything. Their only purpose is to cause more pain to the Palestinians in Gaza. They're removing Gaza from the map. It's horrific. They're removing memories, histories, dreams and hopes. They're, I can't, I don't have the words. Till I left and saw how people are living in the UK and how it's not normal. It's not normal to see blood more than, you know, anything in your life. It's not normal when you're 14 to literally witness your best friend getting killed in front of your eyes. It's not normal to, to, to live through these different aggressions and attacks. It's not normal to get imprisoned and tortured as a, as a Palestinian kid just because you're Palestinian. Like this is not just apartheid. This is, this is, I can't even honestly have the words, not in English, not in Arabic, not in any language to describe the inhumanity, the illegality of what Israel is doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there are words, but what you have been doing over the last few days as this has been unfolding is using your voice, using your platform, using your words, using your stories and your memories. And as I say, it's so powerful, it's so important, and I commend you for it. And I hope that you see how many people stand with you and support you. I do feel that the solidarity that we felt, you know, over the weekend, last weekend, worldwide protests, you know, I saw photos from literally all over the world. For me, that is hope. That is is the future that actually people are becoming more educated about what is happening. And, and, and that's something that people did ask me a lot when I put out the question of, you know, what do you want to know? People want to know how they can help, what they can do. It's a hard question to answer because there isn't a, a clear solution, of course. Is there anything that you would like to say that you do want from people? Yes, definitely. The reason I'm talking with you right now is because I believe that people voices, people actions matter, not only Palestinians. We need to liberate Palestine. Free Palestine movement is not going to be done just by Palestinians. We need people from all over the world to help us. First, I need people to educate themselves. I need people to spread awareness and talk about what's happening. Keep the momentum. Keep talking about Palestine. I know you've been fed up by seeing all these videos and posts of killed children all over the news. And, you know, sometimes it's really too much. But imagine what it is for Palestinians. We've been feeling this way for 73 years and more. So please keep the momentum. Thank you so much for everyone who walked in the streets and protested for the name of Palestine. It means so much to all of us. Please keep walking in the streets. Please keep protesting. Please keep showing the whole world that we Palestinians do exist and we Palestinians matter and that this has to stop. So use your voice if you have any platform even if you have 10 followers don't underestimate your power and your voice and your words second use language understand the importance of language use the right terminology don't use war don't use two sides use apartheid systematic genocide ethnic cleansing of palestinians use illegal this is illegal under international law war crimes use all these words because they matter and you will be on the right side of history. We need you to be on the right side of history. And third, please, please, please 
amplify Palestinian voices. We don't have enough Palestinian voices heard. We don't have leadership that is good enough to show the whole world what we're going through. So please amplify our voices. Share, share, share. Expose, expose, expose. And fourth, I don't know if I'm counting right, um, <laughs> BDS, 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 BDS. Us. Boycott, divestment, and sanctions put pressure on Israel. Boycott Israeli products because you will boycott an apartheid state. If you're in the US, your taxes are literally funding bombs that are being dropped over Gaza. So please, please, please stop those investments and those trades with Israel. You know, even my university, the University of Edinburgh, is complicit with apartheid and with war crimes in Palestine because they, they're also, as many UK universities are investing in um, arm trades uh, with Israel. So write to your MPs, write to your representatives, email, sign petitions, anything. Honestly, you don't understand how much you're leaving an impact, how this will help another child in Gaza, how this will prevent another innocent life from being lost. Finally, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope and believe in us and believe that we will have a free Palestine. And the most important thing, anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. So don't be scared or afraid to speak up because I condemn any violence and I'm against any form of violence or racism towards any group. So being anti-Israeli government and anti the apartheid state does not mean you're anti-Semitic. And this is something that I should have mentioned from the start. 100%. I think that's really important to say. There's been a lot of dangerous conflation the nation state of Israel and being against that has nothing to do with how you feel Definitely. about Jewish people. Conflating these two issues is where it's very dangerous. And what's so special about Palestine is that Jews, Muslims and Christian Palestinians all used to coexist and live peacefully together for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Arabs are actually Semites. But, you know, being Anti-settler colonialism does not have anything to do with anti-Semitism. And we see so many Jewish brave souls that are speaking up and showing the whole world that Judaism doesn't have to do anything with Zionism and that there is a structural problem with state of Israel as an apartheid state rather than the religion. There is so many of my Jewish friends who are standing up to what's happening in Palestine and saying that this has nothing to do with Judaism. And I believe that from my heart. I am against anti-Semitism of all forms. We're all sharing this uh, hashtag free Palestine. What does that look like for you? What does that mean? What would your dream be for Palestine? Oh, that's I like know, the most difficult it's, question it's you could huge. ask. <laughs> you can say, Jazz, that's for another time if you want. What's the solution, Yara? <laughs> exactly. um, and I know that there is no clear solution, um, but do, do, you ha do you have an idea of what you would, would want for the future? Yeah, I want basic human rights for my people. I want mm. no child to be scared that they might lose their family any minute or any second. I want no child to grow up in the fear of being held at checkpoints just because of their nationality. Mm -hmm. I want no child to feel that they're 
less just because they're not Israeli treated as a second class uh, class citizen I want Palestinians to live in peace and dignity and I want peace for everyone I want um, people to have their basic movement rights their basic human rights we're talking about literally just having a normal life that's what I want for my people I want any Palestinian to be able to go back to their homes feeling safe no one to be kicked out any second just because they're Palestinian I want us to sing and dance and laugh instead of cry you know that trauma can be inherited through birth from generation to generation when I found out this yeah I was shocked when I have babies and I have kids sorry you can cut that when I have kids <laughs> I could <laughs> have babies that works, I have that's kids, true that's, that works as well you can say that <laughs> oh it sounded funny in my head <laughs> when I have kids even if I lived outside Palestine the fact that they could be born just with trauma because of my trauma breaks my heart so that's why we have to stop what's happening now it stops here it really has mm. to it really has to we've had enough we've had more than enough mm. honestly I don't even know I'm going to walk out into my flat now to my three houses <laughs> and yeah I mean I don't even know what I'm how I'm going to I've got no words and I really hope that actually everything that's happening that feels so fucking shit that we can use that energy and transform it into action I really hope so oh thank you so much it's been great really I think this is one of the best calls I've had because I'm just talking as if I'm talking to my friends so thank you so much Oh. It was really nice meeting you and I wish we met in person. I'm sure um, we will. Next time you're in London, let's have dinner. I'll make you dinner. Definitely. Uh, I can't wait for this all to end so I can have a bit more appetite. Take care. Have a lovely evening and I'll you see you too. soon, hopefully. To hear more from the incredible Yara, check out her Instagram account at Eid underscore Yara, which is E-I-D underscore Y-A-R-A for more first-hand accounts and updates. I'll also link that in the description of this episode. Other actions that you can take to support this podcast and join the Worldwide Tribe are to visit our shop and buy a t-shirt or a hoodie. All of the details are also in the podcast description and in my Instagram bio. I'd love to hear from you about what you'd like to hear more of and what you'd like me to cover in the upcoming season five of the Worldwide Tribe podcast. To let me know, drop me a direct message to my Instagram account at the Worldwide Tribe. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it, rate it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. Big 
shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.